Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Okay, today I'm going to jump into where we left off last week. And so we've been talking about holiness as a way of life and qualifying what holiness is, what it looks like, and uh, where it originates, how it's imparted, and how we live that out in our lives. And last week we were able to really... Um, Look at the issue of diet. Surprising enough that diet would have something to do with holiness. And so we looked at the biblical diet. This week what we want to do is look at the biblical diet and Peter's vision, right? This teaching is about our call to be holy like our Father in heaven is holy. And we know that God has given us a diet that is holy. It's intriguing. It's full of wisdom. I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear last week's teaching, be sure to go back and listen to last week's teaching where we establish what the biblical diet is. Today we're looking at Peter's vision. It's the most often cited proof text for those who want to eliminate the biblical diet for the followers of Jesus. This is the go-to passage. Conversely, a closer and careful read of the passage says something different. And for those who are interested in a deeper, a contextual read of Peter's vision, we promise a surprising and insightful understanding of the dream. So thanks for joining us today, both here on location and in our live stream. Thank you for joining us and safeguarding God's gift to us of the biblical diet. Now, I know a lot of people are thinking, gosh, that's not very relevant. I mean, we've got a lot of big issues in our country. We're facing a lot of dilemmas. Why are you talking about food, right? I mean, how relevant is that? It misses the point. We're not talking about food. We're talking about holiness and what it means to be holy. Because if we're a holy people, then we have the opportunity to model for the nation that which will bring blessing to the nation versus destruction. And holiness has to do with every aspect of our life, including diet. It communicates who we are. It's an identity issue. It propels us into our mission and our vision. That's why diet is important. This is God's plan, God's idea. So it's our plan and our idea. So let's jump into the context of this controversial vision that Peter has. And of course, this is dealing with the dilemma of the Gentiles. What do we do with the Gentiles? In the first century, the Jews who were saved, you know, following Jesus the Jew, they're all Jewish, everyone getting saved are Jews, priests are getting saved, the mother church is in Jerusalem, you know, and all of a sudden the Gentiles are wanting to get in on that. And they're like, what? A Gentile? How can a Gentile be saved? Acts 10, 1 through 28. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, 
your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Cornelius, a Gentile, his household, Gentiles. They're about ready to hear the message of the gospel. Orchestrated, of course, by God. They're about ready to encounter Jesus the Jew and get saved. Now, the great dilemma is that the only apostles that are currently commissioned to bring the gospel are Jews. In fact, all of the apostles are Jews. And Jews do not schmooze with Gentiles. That's our problem. In fact, Peter's own view in his own words is that it is quote-unquote unlawful for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner, i.e. Gentile, or to visit him. Gentiles are unholy and or unclean. The foods they eat are unholy and or unclean. More in a moment on these two words, unholy and unclean, as it relates to food. Suffice it to say, association or fellowship with the Gentiles is forbidden for a Jew. The result? Sharing the gospel with a Gentile is virtually impossible. Not going to happen. Yet God promised Abraham that he would not only offer salvation to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. So how is this going to work? How is God going to solve this dilemma? How can he liberate Peter from his negative view of the Gentiles? Well, he gives Peter a vision. Acts chapter 10, 9 through 16. On the next day, after the vision given to Cornelius, two men, two visions. Yeah. Pay attention to what God is showing you in your life. Pay attention to your dreams. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the household about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheep coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were on it all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. Peter the Jew, hungry, falls into a trance, sees a big tallit come down out of the heavens, and on it all kinds of edible and inedible creatures. On this tallit is all kinds of foods that are edible. Maybe, maybe a, a cow and a sheep, right? A chicken, right? But in addition to that, pigs, 
lizards, snakes, maybe some spiders, some mice, rats, and a few flying bats. All kinds of animals are on this tallit. Houston, we have a problem. The words unholy and unclean. I want to I read this to you. Verse 13, a voice came to him. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. I was going to ask you to underline in your Bibles the word unholy and unclean. But you probably have a smartphone and a Bible app nowadays, right? Who writes in their Bibles? So, mark it, highlight it, do whatever, but pay attention to these two words. I have not eaten anything unholy and unclean. Two different words for two different categories of creatures. Let's look at them. Unholy, the first word. Unholy is the Greek word koinos. Now, I want to say up front, I don't even know if I pronounced that right. Probably did. But just in case I didn't, please forgive me. If there's any Greek scholars, please forgive me. All right? But the Greek word here is K-O-I-N-O-S. That's how we would pronounce it, koinos. The second word is the word unclean, the Greek word akathartos. And I know that's probably not right, but don't focus on any mispronunciation. Focus on the word. That's the Greek word that we translate unclean. Unholy, unclean, koinos, akathartos. So let's look at unholy first. Unholy means edible food. Edible food that's intrinsically clean. Intrinsic means that it was created clean. It's actually edible. Intrinsically, in its original state, it is clean food. It's edible food, but it's become contaminated. And because it's contaminated, it is now considered unholy and inedible okay so that beef somehow through contamination became inedible the word is koinos it means unholy which is code for it was once edible and is no longer edible the second word unclean akathartos is inedible food it's intrinsically unclean it was created unclean it was created inedible. Thus is always and forever forbidden to eat. These are the two different words here describing two different states or categories of food. We'll have more in a moment. Suffice it to say, two words. Slow down your reading of the text. Take note of the words that are being used. In the Jewish frame of reference, this is communicating something that we as Gentiles miss, especially if we're not careful and slow in our consideration of what the passage is actually saying. He says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Here's the word kill in the Greek, thuo. It means to offer, to kill and sacrifice, sacrifice, immolate, and to slaughter for food. It's found 14 times in the New Testament. Seven of the 14 times is dealing with 
the sacrifice that you make as an offering that you partake in and eat. Like, like that the peace offering is one of the sacrifices that you would go down to the temple and take your lamb and have it slaughtered by the priests and prepared. And you would eat that day at the temple, a beautiful meal. And it was a peace offering between you and God. It was a time of fellowship. It was like a no-neg, like what we're going to have. We come to service and then we go and eat together. So really what the passage is saying is, get up, Peter, sacrifice and eat. It's God telling a Jew, offer up a peace offering. Let's eat. If Peter, as a devout Torah-observant Jew, was to rise and sacrifice an animal in order to eat it, what would this involve? Right? What would this involve? We know that Peter would choose a clean and thus edible animal. He's a Jew. He's going to go get the lamb. He's going to bypass the snake. He's going to bypass the pig. He's going to bypass, you know, the rat, the, the bat. I could say things we eat, we'd probably be too offended. So let's just keep that over there in that other group, right? He'd pass everything that is unclean, inedible, forbidden, and he would grab something that's appropriate to eat, biblically appropriate food. And then what he'd have to do is slaughter it in a way to safeguard it from any cross-contamination. Cross-contamination. That's found in Leviticus chapter 7, 19 through 20. It deals with these offerings that are made and then eaten, then consumed. Speaking of that, it says also the flesh that touches anything unclean. After you've sacrificed your animal, that meat has to be safeguarded because if it comes into contact with anything that's unclean, it shall not be eaten. It shall not be eaten. So if you have a clean animal that you're slaughtering and it comes across an animal that's unclean, let's say a lizard scampers across the carcass. Guess what? It's now considered koinos. It's now considered unholy, which is code for it was once edible and now it's become inedible because it was cross-contaminated with, with the unclean animal that it came in contact with. Therefore, it cannot be eaten. Unholy. It's food that has been contaminated by coming into contact with the unholy or unclean and is therefore rendered unholy and thus inedible. So what are the chances that Peter's going to rise up, grab a clean animal, slaughter it on this area that's filled with all kinds of in unclean things, all kinds of creeping things, lizards and snakes and birds of prey and just, just a host of unclean things. You know what? It's zero chance that there's going to be no contamination. Zero. There's no way in the world that he can get up and do this without that meat being cross-contaminated. That, that's why they slaughtered the animals in the temple. They had a temple precinct area where they took care of all that, where there was no chance of that meat becoming or coming into contact with anything that was unclean. God is using something here very familiar 
to the devoutly Jewish Peter in order to reveal the mystery surrounding the Gentiles and his plan to save them. God is using the familiar and then taking from that and lifting out some principles that will help Peter solve his dilemma with the Gentiles. Acts 10, 15 through 16. Again, a voice come to him a second, came to him a second time. This is God speaking to Peter a second time. Peter, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Now, Peter's not making any connections to people. He's just thinking about food, right? And God's saying, I'm cleansing this. No longer call it holy. I'm the Lord. I can cleanse it. Don't call it unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Here's the big question we should be asking. This is what Peter's asking, right? What is it that God is cleansing? What is it in this vision that God is cleansing? We hear in the Messianic movement all the time, oh, it's not about food. He was cleansing the Gentiles. He didn't cleanse the foods. He cleansed the Gentiles. Well, if he didn't cleanse anything in the vision, then nothing outside of that gets cleansed either. If nothing changed in the vision, nothing changed in terms of what the vision represents. Now, we have to look closer at the text and see what it's saying. Because that, that view is wrong too. God is cleansing something here. What is it? Is it the unholy that is cleansing or the unclean? Two words, remember? What is the unholy? Edible food that becomes inedible through cross-contamination. Can God cleanse that and bring it back to its original state of holiness? Yeah. What about the unclean? That which is inedible. That which is intrinsically, by creation, made to be unclean. Can God restore that to a former state? No, because there's no former state. It's intrinsically unclean. These are the words we have to wrestle with in the vision. So what is he cleansing? The unclean, the unholy, or both? If it were both, the text should read, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy or unclean. It would, it would include both, but it doesn't. It includes only the unholy, edible food, food that became defiled. So if it is the unholy, edible foods that through cross-contamination became inedible, then the only thing being cleansed and restored to its intrinsic state of purity are the list of foods that God said are edible but become unholy through cross-contamination. So, now that we understand that it's just the unholy that's being cleansed and not the unclean, how is it that God restores unholy things to their original state of holiness? How does he do that? That which becomes unclean becomes unclean because it's declared to be unclean. In other words, the stake that becomes contaminated and is defiled is considered unholy or ritually unclean. How does he take that and bring it back? Well, number one, you declare it unclean to begin with. You declare it unholy to begin with. And therefore, now no one can eat it. To reverse that, 
you declare it to be holy once again. And through proclamation and declaration, it becomes holy once again. We see this in Leviticus chapter 13 with the issue of leprosy. Let's talk about people now. Because when we talk about unholy and unclean, it's about food, and it's also about people, and it's also about fallen angels. Unclean spirit. We've all heard the term unclean spirit, right? Okay, so let's talk about leprosy in Jewish men. Leviticus 13, 1 through 6, I don't have time to read verses 1 through 6. I'm just going to jump down to verse 6. The leper who's been declared unclean through his leprosy is being cleansed now because the leprosy has been resolved. It says in verse 6, the priest shall look at him again on the seventh day, and if the infection has faded and the mark has not spread on the skin, then the priest, the priest shall pronounce shall pronounce, he verbalizes something. There's a declaration. He shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. Why? Because he was proclaimed by the priest to be cleansed. And now he is clean. Go take a bath and put on some new clothes. You get a new beginning. Leviticus 13, 7 through 8. It goes on to say the same thing once again. In fact, let's just skip that. It's, it's, it's just a reiteration of what's taking place in a slightly different context. I'm running out of time. But suffice it to say that in this passage, that which is unclean, that was originally clean, intrinsically clean, and became unclean, is being restored now to that state of cleanness. And part of that restoration comes through the proclamation of the priest. Leviticus 9, 7, uh, 9, 17, I believe it is, gives the same protocol for other types of uncleanness. In other words, the priest has the power to declare people clean or unclean. The priest's declarations carry authority and power. So let's jump back now to Peter's vision. In fact, let's jump back to Peter's mindset. The Gentiles are either unholy, or they're actually unclean, right? In the Jewish mind, the problem with the Gentiles are they're unholy at best, in other words, holy by creation, but through the fall and sin, they've become unholy, or they're unclean at worst, which means they were never holy. They're intrinsically unclean. God created them that way. Therefore, through cross-contamination, the food that they would handle and serve you would also be either unholy at best or unclean at worst. As a result, a devout Jew would be very careful in their interaction with a Gentile, but would certainly never go into his home or eat his food. And that is the mountain that's prohibiting the Jewish apostles from taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Now that the stage is set, or shall we say, the table is set, let's finish this vision. Acts 10, 17. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in his mind as to what the vision, what he had seen, might be, in other words, he is totally confused, greatly perplexed, perplexed unsettled, right? He is at a loss as to the meaning of the vision. Behold, the men, Gentiles, 
who had been sent by Cornelius, the Gentile, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. Well, Peter's trying to figure out what did you cleanse and what does that mean? Knock, knock, knock comes the Gentiles. It's the great setup. Acts 10, 17 through 18. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who is also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. So in the background of Peter's mind in this vision, befuddled and stupefied, he gets up and answers the door, and there stands three Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit has said, go with them. Just go with them, Peter. Quit thinking and go with them. I've sent them myself. So Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in, gave them lodging. And on the next day he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. Polar opposite of anti-Semitism. All the way at the other end of the spectrum. Peter the Jew shows up and Cornelius falls and begins to worship him. Giving honor going actually too far because Peter's a Jew and Cornelius, having a heart for God, loves his chosen people. Peter stands up and says, hey, stand up. I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. A big group had assembled by this time. Peter the Jew has come, the apostle, one of the apostles of Jesus. Verse 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man, here's our words, unholy or unclean. Peter on his way there, everything's happening on his way there. He starts to connect the dots. He's smart enough to say, oh, I'm, I see what you're doing. You're using the dietary laws, the concepts of whole, unholy and holy and, and unclean and clean because you're going to do something with the Gentiles. And he gets it, connects the dots. Peter understood that everyone who is human is made in the image of God and therefore is intrinsically clean. And that through the fall, through sin and shame, we all become unholy. Koinos, if you're talking about dietary laws, we all become unholy. The question is, if God can restore inedible meat that was once edible to its prior state, can he not also do that with people? Can he not also take a fallen race? And bring them back to that first state of union with him in which they were holy prior to the fall. 
Yes, that's what this is all about. He's trying to help Peter understand, I'm cleansing the Gentiles. Peter, stop considering that they're unholy and or unclean. Stop it. They're not unholy and they're not unclean. The truth be known, they may be unholy through sin, but I'm now forgiving their sin and I'm restoring them. So go to them. Share the gospel. Don't worry about it. If I've declared they're clean, they're clean. Just like the priest declares the leper is now clean, God's saying the Gentiles are now clean. The vision communicated. Yes, that's exactly right. The vision communicated clearly and perfectly for Peter to, uh, to, to, to conclude and connect the dots that God was cleansing the Gentiles and bringing them back to their original state of holiness as reflected in creation made in the image of God. So in conclusion... The vision is both about food and people. What is true about one is true about the other. If God can restore holy edible foods that have become unholy and thus inedible, he can also do that with people. When I eat a burger that's been grilled on the same grill as the pork chop was grilled on, it got cross-contaminated. It can't change the fact, though, that that food that I'm about to eat is edible. And through the word and prayer, it is restored so I can eat it. Yeah, that's why I can go to the Gentiles. That's why you can go to the Gentiles. Because God is restoring both unholy food and unholy people to their original state. But he's not, he's not cleansing the intrinsically unclean foods. That's a slower, closer reading of the text. So I'm out of time, but let me just close with this, because we could go for weeks and weeks on the dietary laws, but we're not, because we're going to jump into some other categories of holiness I'm trying to do, I'm trying to paint with a big, broad paintbrush, big strokes, so we can't get too far down in the weeds. But let me just close with this. Some may want to run to Mark chapter 7, where Jesus declares all foods clean. Don't read that slowly. Understand the Jewish backdrop what the original audience would have understood. Because in that passage, it clearly states that what they're talking about is unwashed hands. That if you don't wash your hands according to rabbinic Jewish custom and law, then your hands are unclean. And if you grab your edible food as a Jew with unclean hands, now your food is unclean. And if you eat it, now you're unclean. That's the context. It's talking about properly washing your hands. It's not talking about eating a ham sandwich. Go look it up. Some may want to run to Romans chapter 14, where Paul says, nothing unclean is unclean in itself. 
Nothing unclean is actually intrinsically unclean. Yeah, that's easy too. Go look up the words. Guess which Greek word Paul's using? Koinos or akathartos? Unholy or unclean? Yeah, he's using koinos. Go look it up in the Greek. What Paul is saying is all edible food is what? Intrinsically clean by God's creation. Just because it was offered to an idol and became unclean doesn't mean it's inedible. God can restore that. Nothing unholy through cross-contamination or through idol, idol offerings is actually unholy in and of itself. Why? Because it was created as food. Therefore, it is edible. So again, the, the, the Romans passage won't work either. I chose Peter because that's the most popular passage. Proof texts without a context are pretexts for those who have no real heart for the truth. You look into this. You're the people of God. You safeguard the diet that God has given us. It's meaningful in every way, and it's filled with types and shadows explaining the concepts of holy and unholy, pure and impure, as it relates to every aspect of our lives. That's why these laws are so important. You were called to a holy lifestyle. Peter says, you shall be holy in all of your behavior. That includes diet. So let's make our diets holy too. Amen? You are holy. So be holy like your Father in heaven is holy. Even in your diet, enjoy what God has given. It is filled with beauty and wonder and revelation. So eat and eat well. Shabbat shalom.